You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. So if you will, one more time, stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's word. I just want to remind you where we are. Stephen has been martyred. Saul is on the rage. He is raging in the church in Jerusalem. And as Stephen is buried by devout men, Saul continues to ravage and raise the church. House after house, men and women being persecuted. That brings us to verse 4. Now, those who were scattered. And you understand now why that word scattered is there, right? They were scattered because of the fires of persecution. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And this is the verse I want you to grab a hold of today. So there was much joy in that city. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that joy can come from a place that is beyond this place, this world. We know in this world there will be persecution. We know in this world there will be pain. But we know, God, even in the midst of all the trials and travails, when we have you, we have the potential for joy. I'm asking you to break through to the congregation, to the individuals in this room, and I'm praying, God, that you will give us joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Persecution and joy in the city. As I was meditating on that title this morning, it occurred to me that in this room, that first word has very little relevance. Very few of you in this room You know the textbook dictionary definition of the word persecution, but I doubt very seriously there are but a handful of people in this room who could honestly and earnestly give testimony of being persecuted for their faith. In this text, we see without a shadow of a doubt, we see persecution. We see the church being uh, persecuted by those who are standing against the gospel and standing against Jesus. Now, in our culture today, from time to time, there will be somebody who will make fun of our faith or maybe push back when we try to witness, Uh, but don't mistake that as persecution. I think that waters down the word. But let me ask you this question. How many of you in life, and I'm talking about not just in your spiritual life, I'm talking about psychologically, I'm talking about it at at your job or at school, how many of you on a pretty much daily basis feel pressure? Now, I'm guessing that all of you are very familiar with the concept of pressure, deadlines, things breaking, things not going as planned. I'm on vacation, and my brand new tree in the front yard snapped in half. Now, that's no no big deal, really, in the grand scheme of things. I know that there was a lot worse that happened, but, you know, it's just like I'm trying to relax, and I get pictures of my front yard, and the tree's down. It's like pressure. Now, let me tell you this. 
There is no doubt that there's persecution in this text, but there's also a very clear picture of pressure. Now, when we look at the pressure, we can see that whether we're talking about in the text in Acts chapter 8 or in your life, in my mind, pressure is going to do one of two things in your heart. Pressure is going to either push you in and make you feel like you're just surrounded and, and just can't seem to do anything. So it presses you in like this. But there's another function of pressure. It can force things out. Now, in this text, we see persecution. We see pressure. And the pressure could have stymied, stifled, stagnated. I can't think of any more S words. Uh, the early church. It could have killed the movement, but it doesn't kill the movement. Notice the pressure, the persecution leads to the sharing of the gospel, the fulfillment of the Great Commission, and joy in the city. You are all under pressure. And you're either going to be pressed in by that pressure and become ineffectual for the kingdom of God, or you're going to allow the pressure to push you out into a great commission posture. Let me change the image for just a moment. You know, on the internet, we see all these crazy little videos and vignettes. There's one that I've seen where a guy is trying to start a fire with gasoline. And you maybe have seen this. Maybe you've, you've actually lived this. Um, gasoline on a campfire is a bad idea. Okay, and in one of those little video vignettes, a guy pours a little gasoline on, and then literally in seconds, his entire backyard is on fire. Like everything. Trees, grass, fence, like everything. Now, I want you to realize that uh, that gasoline was intended to go into an engine to propel that engine forward. Now, of course, if you're a Tesla guy or gal, it doesn't apply to you, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Gasoline, in its proper application, moves the vehicle forward. In a not-so-proper application, it burns down your backyard. So here again, look at the text. There is no doubt that there are the fires of persecution burning in Acts chapter 8. It could have burned them down, but it doesn't burn them down. It propels them forward. So here is what I want you to see today as we start out. Every single one of you, if you've made a commitment to follow Christ, you are under pressure. Life is not going to give you a break. Uh, the, the spiritual forces that Pastor Hosey talked about last week are not going to give you a day off. You will be under pressure. What are you going to do with that pressure? I believe that many of us in our culture, though we've not been persecuted, we live in a high-stress culture that continues to put the pressure on people. And what I'm seeing in the church is that pressure is causing us to fall in on ourselves where we are not sharing the gospel as we ought to. We are not making time to serve our community as we ought to. We're allowing the pressure to push us in. But I want to show you in the text today what pressure is supposed to do in the church. It is not supposed to knock you off your game. It's to make your game better. God wants you to be better. I'm not promising you a life free from pressure, but I do believe God's word is going to show you what to do with it. To take that pressure that the enemy means for ill and for ugliness in your life. Take that pressure and let's turn it into something positive. 
God turns negatives into positives, brothers and sisters. He brings light from darkness. He brings beauty from ashes. And in this text, we see that persecution and pressure is not just gasoline. It is the rocket fuel for ministry. We're transitioning here from Stephen to Philip. Both of them are deacons, as we learned in Acts chapter 6. Both of them are used in a mighty way. And Philip in particular seems to have the gift of evangelism. And we see that Philip is facing problems, obstacles. He is trying to fulfill the Great Commission like you and I are supposed to do as believers in Christ. And as he's trying to do the right thing, the devil tries to burn him down. Let me just say this. The challenges are either burning you up or launching you forward. And you need to begin this morning to answer the question, which is it for you? Are you burning out or are you blasting off? And I have to say, just hear me out, okay? I think the evidence is, is that more of you are burnt out than blasting off. I think the evidence in the church today is, is that when push comes to shove, we shove spiritual things in the back corner of our hearts and in the back part of our schedules because we are feeling pressure. I have heard so many people talk about ministries they're not doing any longer because of all the other things they're doing in their life. Now, we've opened up those doors, and we've invited all these other things into our lives. And then, imagine this, it pushes all out the good stuff. You see, it's pressure. I understand it's pressure. Having kids is pressure. Having a job is pressure. Doing ministry is pressure. But if we aren't careful, we will allow the pressure to push us in. Let me say, we are called to bring joy to the city. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to scatter gospel seed everywhere we go. He wants us to share Christ um, uh, in, in every opportunity that the Spirit opens up for us. He wants us to rely on supernatural power. And I want to show you that here this morning. Let's begin by talking about the scattering of gospel seed. Look at verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Our five verses today are beautiful verses telling us the story of the witnessing church. Now many times today what we have are churches that meet and churches that do ministry. But I want us to realize, and this is just me talking to you, your pastor to you, heart to heart. We want to be a teaching church, yes, but we are on task and on target to be a reaching church. We want to reach into lostness. We do what we do so that people who today do not know Jesus may know him tomorrow. And what we see in Acts chapter 8 is a beautiful picture of the witnessing church. Some have said that perhaps we have one of the best theologies of evangelism here in this passage. David Peterson said that. This is one of the best theologies of evangelism. We see that the church is called to share. Now, here's something interesting. Philip is not an apostle. He is not a bishop or an overseer. He is a deacon who preaches Christ. Verse 5. He shares the good news of the kingdom of God in Jesus' name. Chapter 8, verse 12. And he uses the Hebrew scriptures to preach Jesus. We see that in chapter 8, verses 12 through 14. Chapter 8, verses 35 and 40. In fact, we just see Philip preaching Jesus everywhere he goes. He is called to share the gospel. He is going out because he has been scattered. This word is a violent word. Violence has forced the church out of Jerusalem and into a great commission 
posture. Now, I want you to realize this. When the Christians were under pressure, okay, now what I mean by this, let me, let me, let me use a different word. When the Christians were being persecuted, when they were being persecuted, men and women being drugged out of their homes, violence, physical violence was being done against them. They did not return violence with violence. They took the violence and witnessed for Christ. This is different than the way of the world. Even other religions seem to glorify fighting back. But I want you to know that when the church is under pressure, it doesn't pull back its, make a a balled up fist and punch. It doesn't look for weapons of war. When the church is persecuted and under pressure, it looks for the opportunity to share Jesus more. We are not a violent people. And if your brand of Christianity promotes violence of any sort to body, to soul, to mind, it is not from Jesus. The world has plenty of hate and violence. We are called to love. And in this passage, we see Philip taking the pressure, the pain. Some of his friends, like Stephen, had died. Others had been dislocated from their homes and disenfranchised from their country. And yet, they are going into the world and sharing the gospel. I don't believe that the Christians in Jerusalem would have fulfilled the Great Commission apart from the flames of persecution. I believe the flames of persecution were really and truly the fuel for the church. Now, I want to be careful here because I'm not praying for our church or any church in America to be under persecution. But let me tell you what's happened. Specifically here in our context, we still have a little bit of Bible Belt. Just a little bit, that's what they call it. I don't know what kind of belt it is. I don't know if it's a cowboy belt with a big buckle. I don't know what kind of belt it is, but we're, we're supposedly in the Bible belt. Let me just say this. A comfortable church plants deep roots and doesn't want to move. I think the danger of the church today, because we are comfortable, we have become lazy. We are to be filled with gospel love. But that love is never intended to stay within the four walls of the church. The early Christians heard Jesus give the Great Commission, and they took it seriously. And they spread out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, which, by the way, this passage I read to you today shows that next step in the journey. Now they're going into Samaria. They have been in Jerusalem. They've been ministering in Judea. Now they're going into Samaria. The Great Commission, Acts 1-8, is unfurling like a flag before our very eyes. The wind of the Spirit is blowing, and now the flag is starting to stretch out, and we can see it in all of its color and glory. That's what we see in the text. It seems to me, and again, just take this for what it's worth, my observation. It's anecdotal. It's just my point of view. But I believe that our particular brand of Christianity in our culture today that focuses so much internally often, um, we need something to blow us out of our spiritual lazy boys. You know, I'm at a certain age where when I sit in a chair, when I go home, like after church, if I go sit down in a chair long enough, what's going to happen? I'm going to go to sleep. That's what's happened to many of you spiritually. You fought a good fight. You got worn out. Some of you got discouraged. You sit down in a lazy boy maybe 10, 20, 30 years ago, and you ain't got out of it yet. 
Whether it's 30 years or three days, every day you're in the lazy boy is a day you're missing an opportunity to bless this world in the name of Jesus. What will it take to blast you out of that particular lazy boy that you are in? Persecution and the subsequent scattering of the early church was the reality. People didn't just go fleeing for their lives. They went with purpose and took the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. You see, pressure is either going to cause you to lose your witness or it's going to ignite your witness. Now, I want you to realize verse 4 speaks broadly of those who were scattered. This is not talking about the disciples. In fact, they were not scattered yet. They were still in Jerusalem. Now, follow. The main leaders of the church have yet to be jettisoned from Jerusalem. That will come in due time. But rather, in this particular phase of the church, we see Philip and other laymen being scattered out into the world. I want you to see that these are ordinary believers preaching the word wherever they went. Sadly, when we see the word preached here in the text... Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Notice those, plural, not just Philip, those. Notice the word preaching. You all think preaching is what I'm doing now. This is an aspect of preaching. But don't think that it's only meant for those who have trained to do it. I was trained to be a preacher. I have done it for decades now, okay? There is a way that you learn how to do this. But what we've done is we've taken that word preaching and we've only applied it to those who have the gift of preaching. But in this text, those who are scattered are all preachers. You don't have to be a preacher like me to be a preacher of the gospel. You just need to be faithful. Words don't matter. In fact, the words I use often get in the way. My kids sometimes just roll their eyes like, Dad, come on. Just say it simply. I'm trying. Okay, brothers and sisters, I'm trying. Uh, sometimes my uh, verbosity gets the better of me, and there's an illustration right there. <laughs> you don't need words. You need a heart filled with Jesus. Compassion for lost people. Man, people need to hear your story. People need to hear your heart. You are a preacher of the gospel. I don't think Philip was a spectacular preacher. I just think he was faithful. I think you could be a spectacular preacher. The question is, are you faithful? If you are a Christian, you are called to tell others about what God's word says and what Jesus did to save you from your sins. You share your story, and you invite people into God's family. That's preaching. Let me say it again. You share your story and invite people into God's family. That's what it means to preach. I have a burden in my heart that God will raise up more Christian leaders, pastors, and missionaries. Part of that statement I read to you, number seven, our treasure principle, is really aimed at developing future leaders for the church. So there is a role there for pastors, overseers, elders, those kinds of things. Don't get me wrong. But listen, I'm, I'm preaching to a group of people in here. I'm assuming the vast majority of you are not called to do what I do. You're not called to an official title in the church, but you are all called to preach the gospel. Get away from the titles. The titles get in the way. What you need to be is faithful unto God. We need people who are sharing their faith, who will go out and let the world know in this room, I just wonder, if we took a poll of every person here and where each person in this room has been in the last five years, I wonder how many countries we could count. I wonder how many cities would be enumerated. I wonder how many souls we have encountered. 
Do you realize that in this room, in the last five years, every single one of us have probably, if we add it all together, we've had an opportunity to reach all 50 states, every continent where there are people, and probably uh, dozens of countries around the world. Right here in this room, there is potential to fulfill the Great Commission just in this room. But it's not happening because we are not taking the pressure of life and applying it correctly. God's redemptive work should become our work. We must be a going out church, not just a come and gather church. Hear this, the church is called to be in perpetual motion until Christ returns. But what we have seen in recent decades is the church setting still. And I want you to know, a church setting still is a silly concept. It really is certainly not biblical. It's just also just silly. The church was never meant to be a planted organism. Like that tree in my front yard. Can you tell that, that I'm mad about that? But anyway... Because even a tree, as strong and beautiful as it is, can snap. We need to be more flexible than that. We have to be ready to move and to go. We have to allow the Spirit to work. Let me tell you what happens. Jeremiah, the prophet, warned about this. And if you have your Bibles and are quick, if you're one of those uh, people who can turn quick to Scripture, do this. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, let me read to you from my namesake. My name's not Jeremiah. My name's Jeremy, which is a shortened form of Jeremiah. Therefore, that's my namesake. Anyway, verse 13. He's a weeping prophet, so that's what I get. He says in verse 13, For my people have committed two evils. Are you listening? They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. That's number one. And number two, And hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. The church today, too often what we've become is instead of making sure we're in the stream of God's grace, in the flow of gospel mercy, drinking in the fresh water, the living water of Jesus, we come to church, we've become a broken cistern trying to collect grace. But let me tell you, you can't collect grace like that because sin has put breakage in your system in your cistern. You can't hold this water. It was never meant to be held. The good things that God has given you, those things are not yours to enjoy. You should allow the living water to refresh you and then be a refreshment. Abraham was made, was given blessings. Why? We are told, I think it's in Genesis 15, to be a blessing. You were saved by the grace of Jesus to be a blessing. Oh, church, it's time for us to be a blessing. We should be sharing this gospel wherever we go, scattering gospel seed. These next two points are short, but they're important. Let's listen to them. Second, we need to be sharing Christ with the city. Scattering gospel seed, thou sharing Christ with the city. You aren't sharing the gospel, friends, if you aren't sharing Jesus. Jesus Christ is the heart of the gospel. People are not changed by going to a church. People are changed because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Going to church is a good thing, but I want you to know, we are inviting people to Jesus, not just to church. 
I fear today, again, I'm not trying to be critical, but we have to look at our environment. Today in Springfield in particular, we are blessed in that there are a multiplicity of biblical options for going to church. But what that's done is, is we've begun, we, we st- sort of say, well, I like my church and I want people to know about my church. And we do this and we do that. And that church does this and does that. And so they're saying, oh, come to us. And we say, no, you come to us. And we're like trying to be the ones who have the most market share. Works great on Wall Street if you're concerned about earnings, but I'm not sure that's the way the kingdom of God is supposed to work. We have too many churches that are focused on themselves instead of on the kingdom of God. Christians today often advocate more for their church than they witness for Jesus. If a person only tells you about all the cool things they do at their church, but never get to Jesus, don't go to their church. I tell you what church has become in our culture today. It's become more fun and games than witnessing and serving. We don't even know what city in Samaria Philip went to. It just says a city of Samaria. But we see what uh, Philip did. He proclaimed to them Christ. Verse 5. On the other hand, it wasn't just that Christ was proclaimed. The people paid attention to what was being said. Verse 6 is one of my favorite verses in in, in the scriptures because it reminds me every once in a while people will listen. Verse 6 tells us that the gospel was being preached and people were hearing. Now listen, I want you to get this. I'm not being uh, snotty here at all. I'm not trying to be uh, a bad guy here. But preaching is an interesting thing. There's what I do and there's what you do. If I'm being faithful, I'm preaching to you the word. If you're being faithful, you're hearing the word and letting it change you. It's not enough to just tell the truth. We must prepare our hearts to receive the truth. And that's what we see here. We see that the gospel is being shared and that people's hearts are being prepared. You see, God is at work on both ends of the communication process here. We see that Luke, uh, as he writes Acts here, he's showing us the Great Commission in motion. He is showing us how Jesus is being obeyed and how people are being changed through disobedience. When you are being obedient to Jesus, that puts you in a position to witness for Jesus and to see people come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. It is also worth pausing for just a moment to think about who the Samaritans were. The Samaritans weren't the popular kids in town. They were a group of people that were despised. In fact, before the people in Jerusalem, the leaders in Jerusalem persecuted the church, you know who they persecuted? The Samaritans. They pushed them away. The Christians weren't the first ones to be chased out of town. But notice when the Christians are chased out of town, they don't go with bitterness. They go with the gospel. Once again, that's where Christians are different. We are not going to take the pressure from this world and then put pressure on other people. When we feel the pressure of the world, we realize that that is God opening up opportunities for us to share the gospel. In fact, it's interesting, uh, and I don't want to get in the weeds here, but we see very clearly that the Samaritans had been prepared. They were looking for the returning one. That's what they called the Messiah, the Tahib in their language. And if you'll notice the kind of preaching, and I wish I had more time to show you, but the preaching and the language that is used is very contextual. That, that Philip is reaching in and saying, hey, you guys are looking for this Tahib. I think it's Jesus. So he's reasoning from the scriptures. He's not just yelling and screaming, but he's using his mind. So that's why when we approach the text, we approach it seriously here to see what it's saying. Because there is a way, when we take the word and apply it correctly in our context, it changes people. There are ways that God has been working in your neighbor's heart. 
And if you will let the Spirit work in you, you will have the words to say. Note again, with one accord, the people pay attention. They come together. Now, I love this, this phrase, with one accord, there in verse 6. Because what it shows is, is that church is not just about learning from one guy. Church is about coming together in fellowship. This is why we do small groups and Bible studies. Let me just plug small groups and discipleship groups. We have many of them. Wayne talked about it in the video. I am seeing more and more what's happening in the church today is people can legitimately say they love their church, they love to worship, uh, they, they like being here on Sunday mornings and all that's great. But what I'm noticing is, is that they don't have the support system and the grace that comes with a small group. When you don't have that, listen, when the pressure of life comes, and I'm just going to speak frankly to you, there is no way that I can help relieve the pressure in your life by preaching to you for 30 or 35 minutes on Sunday. I can encourage you. I can get your mind working in good directions. I can redirect some of your, your thoughts. I can do that if the Spirit's working through me as a preacher, but I want you to know there are too many pressures in this world you need the fellowship of God's people. Notice in this text, they were with one accord. There's also this idea. It's not just about dealing with the pressures of persecution, but it's kind of like this. When we are studying the Bible together, it's so interesting how God will put a group together, and maybe one person doesn't understand what's going on in the text, but somebody else will. It's like we learn together. Well, I don't know that I see it that way, Pastor Jeremy. I see this, and then I go, wow, that's it. That's in the text. We see that together. In this moment here, you just kind of have to listen. Now, we don't do a dialogue. That'd be a little too chaotic. Hey, pastor, I got a question about that last thing you said. Don't do that. <laughs> but in a small group, we could do that. Oh, friends, proclaiming the gospel is something we're all called to do. It takes us pouring into each other. And I want you to know this. There is a, a, a certain energy in this text where it seems like the church is like exploding out. But I want you to know this. Evangelism is best as a process, not just a one-time event. We need to realize that there are relationships that are inherent in this text, that people are sharing the gospel, and they're not just knocking on doors, hey, believe in Jesus, get away from me, and then they go to the next door. No, they're investing in people. Evangelism is a process. Start building relationships. Continually share the gospel. That's what evangelism is. Common people sharing a common faith is the way of the church. Each of us must be in it for the long haul. Commit to the kingdom. Commit to serve the kingdom with your church for the rest of your life. Hear me. We commit to the kingdom... But we serve the kingdom together through the church. And then amazing things can happen. But they don't happen because you're smart or, or, or hardworking. It comes because of the Spirit. Here, listen to this. Signs of power and gifts of joy. Persecution was the fuel that launched the church into Samaria and into the world. But the fuel that kept the church really going was the Holy Spirit. If you are Spirit-filled, brother, sister... You have the fuel to drive your witness, so go. I know that sharing the gospel sounds like a daunting task to the majority of us in this room. But hear me, you do not go alone. If you are faithful, 
the Holy Spirit goes with you. There is no doubt in this text that the Holy Spirit is going before Philip. That's why unclean spirits, verse 7, are crying out with a loud voice, coming out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Listen, hard work and cleverness don't do that. Verse 7, hard work and cleverness don't give you that kind of power, but the Holy Spirit will. If we are faithful, not only will we have the words to say, we may have a power that this community has never seen before. I believe that Springfield is hungry for the gospel and on the verge of great spiritual joy. But the question is, will you be faithful? How are you going to handle the pressure? Are you going to allow the pressure to continue to squeeze you into the box that Satan wants you to be in? Or are you going to let that pressure drive you into a great commission posture? Let it be the second. Yesterday I was meditating on this. and You know, preaching is an interesting thing. You know, you start off and you get the plane up in the air. And the preachers aren't really good at landing them. Um, so let's land it. Yesterday it occurred to me that many of the invitations I've been a part of, whether receiving them or giving them, we so often come to this point, an invitation, we're going to sing a song and you're going to have a chance to respond to the gospel, but let me tell you what we tend to do. We tend to say, okay, God, what am I doing wrong? Where have I been disobedient? Now, nothing wrong with that. It's an important part of the invitation. If God is revealing to you a sin that's separating you from his love and power, you have to confess that. But let me give you another angle on the invitation. It goes all the way back to Adam in the Garden of Eden. Often when we think of the fall of Adam, we think that he disobeyed the direct command of God and thus lost the garden. But let me throw a curveball at you. What if the greater issue that's being expressed in Genesis 1 and 2 is not the disobedience? So that's definitely there. What if the real focus there is not what Adam did to lose the garden, but think of it this way, what Adam failed to achieve? You see, God had given him much more. In fact, God had given him the right and privilege to have direct fellowship with him. If he rose up to that occasion, he could have walked with God in the cool of the day in the garden. You see, here's what I'm thinking. You may be able to walk out of here today and say, I don't have any major disobedience in my life, but I don't know that any of us can walk out of here today and say, you know, I am fully where God wants me as a witness and as a church member. I was at Disney World last week. I think, Rich, you mentioned that. I'm getting too old for this stuff. Lion King, right? Best line in the movie. The dad says to the son, you are more than what you have become. Now, I, I hear that line a lot in my own heart because I realize that it's not just what's, what's keeping me from the joy of the Lord is not just my sin, but it's my lack of, of witness. It's my lack of trust. In other words, I need to realize that many times my biggest issue is that I haven't, I haven't been that bridge of grace to other people. You see, persecution, pressure, and joy... Those two things, I think, are inevitable in the world. But I do believe this, that we can rise above the pressure and we can be better. Jesus 
succeeded where Adam failed. You see, the reason we preach Jesus is because he rose up to the occasion. Not only was he obedient to God, but he made it possible for all human beings, all of us, to enter into direct fellowship with God through the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus fulfilled the law, but better yet, he fulfilled his purpose. And that's why we're here today. You have not yet fulfilled your purpose. Let's take the first steps to that goal, that joy may come to Springfield. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.